Hey, Andrew. How are you doing today? Hello. Good. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks so much for uh, join, joining the show. Been really looking forward to this conversation all day. And I just kind of wanted to start. So we're going to talk about, uh, uh, you know, the left, some of your ideas, some of what you've been writing kind of in your personal projects in that negation magazine. Um, but mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to start with a, a broad question about your political history. So um, totally. what has that been like? Like, can you say a little bit about your history and kind of what mo has been motivating your interest in communism, emancipatory politics and, that, and the left more broadly? Totally, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think in terms, so I grew up in Canada, I still live in Canada. Um, so I'm just trying to think about there's any particular moments. I mean, for most of my life, when I grew up, my parents for the first couple of years of my life when I was like five, you know, three to five, six, a little bit around there, we're pretty impoverished. I wouldn't say like dirt poor, pretty poor, struggling, like pretty working class. Um, and slowly kind of surely over time, um, that experience kind of left certain marks to me, but over time, like my family has grown, I'd say fairly comfortably middle-class. So like, you know, I think my own kind of position in some ways when it comes to this stuff is admittedly a little bit outsider versus what my people might call like a working class background. But um, I still think there's a lot that kind of comes through and this will kind of come as I talk a little bit more, um, the attraction sort of I had to kind of these ideas. Um, I think vaguely, I was pretty lucky to have a family, an extended family that was pretty liberal. So I was exposed to kind of a lot of like some, you know, liberal democratic ideas of tolerance and, you know, some like vague social democracy here and there. And that felt pretty intuitive. The like quote unquote communist thing I can remember doing. So we had like a mock election when I was in grade eight. Uh, for all of like in advance of like a federal election or something and like that's one of the only times that the, uh, the teachers were like yeah we're gonna like posit the communist party and like their platform is like something that's there because they exist they wanted to have like a wide range and i remember like even though i was like assigned to the group that was supposed to be like the liberal party or whatever you know we're supposed to like talk about the platform and like champion it to our uh, to our classmates i voted for the communist party because i was like that just seems logistically this seems like the best thing i didn't think much of it i just kind of moved on with my life or whatever right so I'm vaguely social democratic for like, in, you know, for most of my life, don't really have like a lot of political reading under my belts or anything. And I'm sort of slowly, I don't have a lot of um, structure to a lot of the convictions that I have, I would say. I have convictions, can't really explain why it just feels right. Um, I don't know, I have a really, I enter university, you know, as all like, a, you know, middle-class white guys do for some of us, you know, go to like a, a liberal arts school. I did my undergrad in English and political science. So I was taking a lot of intro English, intro policy stuff. Political theory was kind of my thing that I wanted to do. Um, so you get exposed to Marx and stuff for the first time, sort of thinking through those ideas and, and, and like actually reading the text, not your like, professor or your teacher, I should say, in like high school being like Marx influenced the Soviet Union and that's, you know, cold world, that shit, right? Um, so I sort of read a little bit, but it didn't hit me too much. I had like a really rough, um, summer after my first year for you know some personal reasons and other things and i was working a summer job two summer jobs like over full-time hours like a full-time job and another part-time job on top of that that is despised it was like my first time really working like proper like full-time retail hours like at a grocery store everybody around me just like hated their lives i hated my life people were like sniping at each other in like weird ways like it was just a miserable kind of experience like if you wanted to talk about like alienation or feeling alienated at work that was like a very concrete experience for me and I wasn't really sure what to make it I just knew that I hated it and I kind of came back to Marx later you know shortly after that and like a lot of things began to click for me my personal experience a lot of other convictions that I sort of had you know sitting and I couldn't really explain 
I had now something I could, I could adhere to, like a theoretical explanation that also led me to the logical conclusions of what my feelings were. So, you know, in a weird way, just simply through reading Marx, I became enlightened or whatever. Um, that was kind of my introduction to a lot of it. Um, admittedly, for a while, I did a lot of just kind of like reading in all kinds of traditions too, like exposed to whatever I was you know, exposed to Marxist stuff, some of the stuff that you read in, in, in um, university, it's a little more like what people call the post-structural side, Foucault and all of that, queer theory, stuff here and there. I was just really trying to like figure a lot of this stuff out. And it's not until I think, you know, in the last years of my undergrad, beginning of my master's degree, that I was trying to push myself more towards, you know, stuff, being able to do stuff on the ground. It's pretty tough to find, uh, depending on what position you are, like a a, an organization you can kind of feel comfortable with that you want to feel strongly, especially in Canada. We don't have really anything like even a DSA. We sort of have like a semi-DSA now, but they're very new. Um, and that wasn't really around. There was like some Marxist or communist like student groups that were kind of just, I don't know, I didn't jive with them. They were kind of doing some weird stuff and we can maybe get into that at some point um, a little bit, but so I was trying to figure that out and it's, it's been the last little while that I've been kind of trying to do more on the ground stuff and, you know, you know, figure out my options and, and think more like, you know, about the organizing part of things more. Um, so yeah, it's kind of where this journey has led me to the projects I'm doing now, vacation and everything. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for that, Andrew. So kind of all started, uh, you know, you come from kind of a working class background when you were younger, your family has kind of grown into uh, kind of an upwardly mobile, went into a, more of a middle class thing, but you can remember you have memories of times being tough when you're, you're younger. And so yeah. uh, you kind of started with that and then kind of had some time, spent some time uh, in the middle, middle class and, uh, you know, kind of democratic, liberal, those things felt really intuitive. I, I like, I wanted to flag, it's a really interesting memory about like as a kid or in, in uh -huh. the, the voting for the communists, there's like some kind of intuition or um, yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, and then kind of as you went to school and got uh, kind of more of a, a academic Marxist education and then through that experience, um, kind of working kind of a shitty job that felt very- Yeah, yeah pretty much, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> it was really radicalizing there. And then, yeah, yeah, it's led you to some, yeah, and then maybe we can circle back to some of the, options that were at your disposal that weren't kind of uh working sure um if we can yeah search. i mean the biggest one was on campus uh socialist fight back so like the student wing or like one of the wings Canadian wings of like the international marxist tendency um and there's multiple reasons for that from what i heard from other people they kind of were like super they were kind of i mean i don't mean to be super derisive but i will be because lots of stuff has come about the imt in canada about like they were covering up like some pretty serious sexual assault stuff. Uh, so they get, that's all kind of blown up and lost a little bit. So I don't feel bad talking smack about them, but they seemed really kind of insular and very kind of just like hoity-toity. You could say LARPy. They felt like they were LARPers, you know, kind of just like we're kind of like they're going to be the vanguards. They felt kind of silly. And so I was never really taken with them. They didn't seem to do what I felt was like serious work of like even just doing basic stuff like mutual aid. I didn't really see a lot of that going on. Um, and there was a lot of like, you know, some stuff that sprung up like single issue groups, but I wasn't just, I wasn't always persuaded by some of kind of like, I wanted to see something more of like a, a communist edge, maybe a harder kind of edge that was a little more, you know, anti-capitalist in very kind of particular ways, I guess you could say. So right. kind of took me a while to figure out through some of that, but uh, yeah. So I don't know, for some people that might make me sound picky, uh, but I think I was just trying, hopefully, you know, you run into those things, you kind of like pick your battles, right? So. Sure, sure. Yeah. And you've done some really in, in some of your work at negation, 
that I'd love to talk about. Um, you've done some uh, a lot of theoretical thinking about uh, how to take some of these ideas and apply them like in a real concrete ways um, and maybe with that harder mm -hmm. anti-capitalist edge. Uh, before we get into that, I wanted to ask you kind of another broad question. So sure, one, yeah. of the, one of the points of this project, I'm kind of Andrew trying, trying to challenge myself, like what do I believe and how did I come to like clarifying and interrogating my political beliefs? So I wanted to pose sure. this question to you, like what does it mean for you and maybe drawing on the tradition too, uh, to be on the political left and maybe what is communism? Um, could you take a right. shot of that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, being on the left, there's like a, huh, there's always that divide between what being on the left means like maybe in principle for some people and what it really turns out to be in practice when people actually take up those values. I think the left, what being on the left means, means a lot of different things to different people. And for that reason, I try to more so say that I'm a communist. I want to make it a little more specific. I think the left can be, it's very vague. It's a very wide spectrum of thought. It, 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 to be on the left vaguely, it's kind of like you have some issue on like a gradient of like you have a little bit of a problem or like extreme problem with like certain systemic like exploitation and domination or oppression right you want to get rid of things or like ameliorate the unjust the unjust effects of stuff like capitalism or racism patriarchy like you have some sort of like something is going wrong here i think we need to fix something here but that can mean anything from, you know, that's, or I should say before I continue, that's versus something like if you're on the right or like a reactionary, like you want to can either return to something, right? You want to return to a tradition or you want to conserve things as they are. Things are falling apart. We need to keep things together. There's like, you know, degeneracy, whatever. There's all kinds of, that's very extreme kind of like fascist rhetoric, of course, I would say. But you sort of have that sense of like not really taking an issue with these hierarchies, right? I think being on the left, uh, people can claim that they're on the left and not be anti-capitalist. I think they can, you know, people can claim that they're anti-capitalist, but then also are like kind of okay with like being racist, you know, like it, it's, it's kind of a label that, yeah, I think it's kind of vague and it can, it can be hard to coalesce principles out of it. Um, I think if you have folks like who would call themselves like leftists or see themselves as revolutionaries, but they're like social Democrats, I don't know. We've, this might be coming across very harsh, but I think we've seen with the experiments with Bernie Sanders, as much as we want there to be like, I think a wide mainstream success of Bernie Sanders and socialism or social democracy in the United States and elsewhere, North America, maybe more broadly. Um, I think those things failed. And I don't think Bernie Sanders also would have brought, I think, as much of the, like, the lauded change that, you know, some social Democrats would kind of say, I think so, they might be under the impression that the stuff that they're changing, that they're uh, you know advocating for is really radical when like the end of the day for someone like me it's kind of the bare minimum and a means to an end of something more than that like the abolition of of these kind of like hierarchies and the construction of something else in place of it um so maybe that's kind of you know what that maybe means to be on the left maybe i have like a bit of a pessimistic outlook on what that term means but this brings maybe nicely to the question of what communism is versus what we might be saying you know being on the left um everybody knows like the line that communism is the abolition of private property and like that freaks people out sometimes because that just means like they think that their stuff's getting taken away um i think it's more a question of like thinking about it's the abolition of private property as a particular kind of like system of political organization social organization so we're getting rid of like cash commodity production right capitalist production which is where like socio-political like 
legalese and laws of private property, that's where that will kind of tie to. So they're getting rid of that and building something else, another form of like social reproduction, right? Ways that we continue to sustain society that don't rely on those like systems of exploitation. Um, I would argue that communism too, uh, you know, entails the ends of other kinds of things, not just capitalism, but things like racism, patriarchy, colonialism, imperialism, like, you don't, uh, some people, I mean, this is like no serious Marxist or communist says that if you got rid of capitalism, everything else would be fixed. Um, like I would just say that a communist struggle would have to try and encapsulate as best it can all, you know, undermining all of these sort of things and building something else. What that looks like in practice, it's hard to say. It's very different uh, and, you know, unfortunately very abstract because it is primarily sort of like a negative thing, right? We're trying to dismantle what is. Building what comes after that is always the tough question and it's always hard to predict the future, but I think I can leave the definition of communism there. That's kind of where at least I sort of see where things are going at. Because um, yeah, putting a, a, a blueprint on exactly what the state's going to look like or whatever society is going to look after, that's hard. But I hope that's a helpful, you know, maybe definition. It's very helpful. I think I really like that your movement from the left into communism. Because I just wanted to kind of re-summarize some of that to make sure I'm tracking with yes. you. So. The left, it can be a difficult, slippery term because maybe something we share broadly from left is uh, like you were saying, we see what's going on in the world empirically and we say like there's oppressive things going on, whether it's kind of patriarchy, racism or capitalist ex exploitation, um, uh, mm -hmm. in inequality, police brutality, whatever we see. And we're like, I don't like that. And kind of um, people share a, on the left broadly share a an idea that hey we should do something about this but then i'm wondering if you agree mm -hmm. with this this is like something that's kind of my own words it's like a distinction i'm trying to to call out more often and that's why i like like the mm -hmm. some of your critiques of like the, the bernie, bernie stuff first of all just as a tangent i mean i think you, your point is straight on like you know very kind of a center right at the very least biden can't even get you know, protect abortion rights in the U.S. with majorities. And yeah. So, you know, like Bernie, like he would have been in a similar position. I'm sure it'd be hard to argue against that, uh, that there'd be massive changes. He'd be able to get the, the votes. But anyways, that's a tangent to say I'm, mm -hmm. what I'm trying to I'm thinking about more often is kind of what is the obstacle to changing these systems? Is it tweaking, you know, having a kind of progressive liberal capitalism that is just nicer? Or is it something kind of like you're talking about with communism, which is uh, ch changing the way we reproduce ourselves socially in, in some kind of new speculative way um, that needs to be constituted? Um, and so I don't know, do you think that you're, do you think I'm kind of tracking with you here that it's important or it feels important to kind of draw a distinction between that kind of what the, maybe on the left, maybe something we're struggling with is um, the, the nature of the obstacle. And uh, I would consider that an yeah. obstacle to being like capitalism and, and not just better like technocracy essentially. Um, but I think that's a kind of yeah. debate on the left right now in, in the US. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I, I think you trapped pretty much exactly what I was thinking. And like, yeah, it's, uh, it's why, I mean, that's why you'll have complaints about people uh, the DSA is interesting, I think, as far as like a big tent social democratic, I would argue social democratic or institution. And there are like people like communists and Marxists. There's like Marxists, there's like a, a Marxist unity caucus, there's a communist caucus in the DSA that are trying to work within the DSA to 
pull things further to that question of like abolition or like the sort of like that more ex extreme, I guess we could say end of things. Um, but then there's also that debate of like, uh, is it kind of worth in this kind of, is it worth it or does it work in this sort of big tent party or organization where there is all these kind of different ideas about what being leftist means, what the nature of the obstacle is, does that get us any closer to our goals, right? I mean, I would firmly say uh, that it's really important to like have a very like clear understanding of what the obstacle is. And I would argue that like Marxism and like a very kind of a, a communist point of view is what clearly identifies that obstacle and gives us, I think, better inroads for understanding certain change, right? Um, not saying that like, I'm not a sort of like person who would be like, oh, well, social democracy isn't, um, it's not good enough. We need to go further. Like that's true. Like it's more to say that we shouldn't be surprised when social democracy or these kind of, you know, we can maybe, if I want to be rude, piecemeal solutions to the problem fail. Like that's kind of, if you have a certain sort of understanding of how capitalism works, that's kind of, it's part of the class struggle is also kind of like these labor struggles that do piecemeal improvements to like the, to the nature of, like, you know, how capitalism treats workers, how it treats other, you know, people. Uh, yeah, like along certain lines, right? Uh, race, gender, and so on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it is like a big thing that people are, are grappling with. And I think more people are getting radicalized in certain ways, especially COVID's a big one, BLM, which kind of you mentioned as well, Black Lives Matter, when we were talking beforehand, Black Lives Matter is a big one. Um, and sort of figuring out, you know, if people feel like very strong convictions or changing convictions on things, um, yeah, what do we do with that energy? And, and what, how do we kind of channel you know, what people are feeling into like a quote unquote correct analysis or a helpful analysis of what's going on. So, yeah. Maybe this is, thank you for that, Andrew, uh, really helpful. Uh, and maybe we can <laughs> continue to return to like empirical, uh, concrete examples like DSA and uh, some of your other experiences too. But I think that's just a perfect, um, uh, DSA being Democratic Socialists of America for folks in the audience. Um, uh, but uh, maybe this could be a good segue as you're talking about where we can channel our energy to a correct analysis. And so can you tell us, I found your work through Negation Magazine, which I love. Um, I find it very, uh, 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 very interesting and thought provoking. Um, what is Negation Magazine and how did it come to exist, Andrew? Totally. Yeah. Um, so I've been this was, I guess, in the summer 2020, so in the first months of kind of COVID, uh, I had been talking just vaguely with a few kind of mutuals on Twitter, other, you know, fellow communists, fellow travelers that we've met kind of through our interactions. And it's one guy, uh, Josh Masidi, who uh, kind of at one point was making a joke, like, what if there was like a Zoomer communist magazine that I ran? Uh, but then he was like, no, seriously, what if we sat down and like actually had an opportunity uh, to kind of produce a new sort of theoretical output, something that is like allowing young communist writers, uh, young, you know, to, to get their foot in the door to practice kind of articulating their theory, writing these things that are new. We had a lot of, we, we expressed our displeasure with some other outlets that exist, Jacobin Magazine in the States, for example, we felt kind of pushed certain lines or was kind of, I'll use the term ossified in a way, right? It's a lot of kind of a, a stale kind of structure where the same people kind of write, they write the same old stuff. We didn't really feel it was kind of innovative thinking. We just didn't see a lot of opportunities for folks our age. I'm 25 now, so like old Gen Z. So we kind of wanted to sort of, you know, a lot of us are like within that range, some of us a little bit older, some of us younger uh, who do stuff at negation. Um, so, 
yeah, we really wanted to create a kind of a magazine where we had a chance to express the kind of theory that we felt was kind of needed to work through these thoughts that a lot of young people were having and give a space for people to do that. Um, so they didn't need connections and stuff like Jacobin or like, you know, these people, these kind of very institutionalized, you know, bodies in quote unquote, the left, uh, you know, to have those things. So that's kind of all that we all got started. We sat down, we're like, all right, how do we want to do this? We all drafted together like a mission statement, how we want to go about to set it all up. And uh, yeah, we started publishing stuff near the end of that year. So, yeah. Great. An immediate follow-up comes to mind. Uh, that's so, uh -huh. so, so, so interesting um, about that, um, the, the genesis of negation, or excuse me, uh, yeah, yeah, negation. Um, yeah. Uh, um, so you mentioned the Zoomer thing. Uh, so I'm 30, so I'm a rapidly aging millennial myself. And so the question that comes up is, what do you see, did the left, what did millennial lefts, like how did we fail? And, or what are some of the mistakes mm. we're making? And what do you hope uh, uh, the Zoomers will correct um, or, or reconstitute or, or invent? Like what, what direction do you wanna see uh, the Zoomers on the left, communist Zoomers going? Yeah, I mean, that is an excellent question. I mean, the thing with the, 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 the drying up of like the, the Gen Z discourse too, or kind of like this generational aspect to it too. I think we also wanted to make sure that we were kind of being aware that like, uh, we didn't treat Zoomers maybe as like inherently more radical than uh, any other generation. Uh, that's kind of the thing. Maybe it's just a matter of like, these were kind of certain kind of times we wanted a, a place for people who happened to be aged to express a lot of that stuff. I mean, the failures of, maybe this is going to be like dodging the question away, but I think a lot of the failures of, of the left, quote unquote, of like uh, a millennial left, it goes back, you know, decades, some things that like the left is grappling with and holding on to, right? There's a whole history of successes and failures that are kind of left or communist movement, you know, has to take into account and rely on um, sort of its organizing. I mean, part of it is also how much resistance can you have against certain kind of historical changes like the, you know, onset of like particularly brutal, like neoliberal economic policies, like in North America and elsewhere that have like gutted stuff like unions and, and like things are sort of like building their way back up again, but like really gutted stuff like unions and traditional like labor movements. Um, I mean, there's maybe a question of like whether some of those movements kind of just like either there was like a loss of faith in certain kinds of, of left organizing, like really extreme stuff like communism or like, you know, socialism because of hangovers from stuff like the Cold War. So people either feel like the people who are really dedicated to that stuff maybe are kind of in their own little bubble and aren't willing to experiment or kind of change things. They feel pretty entrenched in their ways and they feel it's going to work. And maybe there's some folks who kind of didn't want to engage with stuff that could be associated with that or like didn't want to go that far and kind of wanted to work within certain kinds of like limits of of capitalism i'm kind of like free willing at this point uh but maybe that's where that kind of failure is like and that's a big thing we talk about in the dossier so this the party form dossier that we'll, we'll talk about negation but also what we're also doing here i think more broadly is just trying to liven or open up that space for kind of experimental thinking or experimentation like opening that up so that there can be a chance for people to kind of try those things out, connect them, see what works, see what doesn't. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for that. It's re really helpful. Thanks for indulging me in that question. It just kind of sprung up. No problem. It's found it very interesting. Um, and this is going into the party form, form dossier. Um, I'll just talk about, like, I'll, I'll just express, like, a mistake that I think I, I've made 
um, which I'm just reading Ador Adorno. Okay. I, I don't I don't know if you've gotten into any of the Adorno stuff before, but like he's got this yeah. idea about yeah, yeah. about actionism, and I definitely like. Uh, okay. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? Like the uh, actionism being. I'm not familiar with that stuff in Adorno. No. Okay, so it's this idea of. Uh, it's almost like a commodified form of, uh, or, or like a, I don't know if you saw the, uh, Kardashian, cop protesting pepsi commercial oh uh, that shit yeah 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 it's yeah. kind of a commodified form of activism that's more so it's, about vibes than revolutionary change and just kind of acting yeah, yeah. even in ways that uh maybe are rhetorically revolutionary but are actually reaffirming the status quo in in different ways um totally and, yeah and I, I i i yeah that's it's been helpful to get some political education and on that and uh, something that was very invigorating for me and in, in kind of organizing I'm doing um, in Pittsburgh is your uh, the work of negation magazine on the party forum dossier so can you describe like what that project was mm -hmm. uh, and what what was it like to write your part of it and maybe edit some of it like, can you just tell us uh, what that project was about and I'll, I'll of course be linking to it um, where I where I spread this but for folks to read which I highly suggest but can you tell Absolutely. us uh, about the uh, creation of this project yeah, totally. Um, so basically, uh, part of what we do at Negation, we have a Patreon, and one of the tiers of the Patreon is we do like newsletters every month. So everybody is an editor, or is a contributor, kind of does editing stuff. Uh, we get together, we pick like a theme that we want to talk about. We all kind of have little polemics from like 500 to 1,000 words, and we all kind of like, we'll pick a topic, we'll send in our stuff to kind of just like share it. So people have a chance of kind of just like thoughts, blurbs, and whatever's come up. Um, this was in the summer of 2021, and we were kind of like, you know, we should really do like a larger project where should think about like the party form. There's a lot of debate around kind of organizing, especially after the wake of the George Floyd protests, um, other things that were going on. We're like, a lot of people seem to have a lot of questions about how we channel, uh, you know, political fervor, stuff that's going on with COVID. How do we make that something more? That was a question that seemed to be in the air. So we decided to write on that. Uh, we did a couple polemics. We were kind of all arguing with each other, responding to each other's positions. We all kind of figured out where we wanted to fit. And somebody, I think Cam, who's one of our editors, suggested we should make this like a dossier. We should make like a big collection of essays about this, like flesh these out. And then this can be like a bit, you know, a theoretical contribution that we share. And we thought it was something that was important. Um, so we decided that we take some of the stuff that we were reading on. And this was helpful because when we were doing the newsletters, I didn't have a ton of reading on the party form. I was like pretty underread in a lot of that stuff like that kind of like particular form of organizing. So I was like, this is a good opportunity for me to figure out where I sit. And this is also helpful because I think I felt in a way that some sort of communist organization that was a party was, you know, helpful or like going to be quote unquote better than nothing, but I wasn't really sure why. So full disclosure, uh, at this time, I think a couple months beforehand, I had joined the Communist Party of Canada because I felt that, like my local club there, because I felt like this is something I can, I can meet like-minded people, do some on-the-ground stuff, at least put something into practice, right? Just help people at this point um, and kind of see how that works out. Uh, I have left the party uh, because of like, you know, like fight back, which just happened the IMT in Canada, like pretty brutal sexual assault cover-up stuff that's been going on. I, I left the party, resigned for it. I want nothing to do with that. Um, you know, it's all these kind of questions about what the parties is for now. We can come back to that later. 
Uh, but anyways, so it was also helping me think through my own political commitments at the time to that and to also understand things, help each other out, we can all kind of contribute all this stuff. Um, so I had a chance to be like, okay, what do I have? What have I read? What do I want to know? And so this got to be a chance of just like, I was unemployed at the time. So it was beautiful. I could just sit. I had just written like a thesis for my master's. I was unemployed for a couple months looking for jobs, plenty of time to just go out, write stuff in the midst of freelance and kind of, you know, write this essay, figure all this stuff out, figure out all this stuff. So I read like some of the classics, like a big guy drawing is Georg Lukash. For those who don't know, he was a Hungarian Marxist who was writing a lot in the kind of 20s, late 20s, early 30s, into the 50s and later 60s, 70s. But he had a lot of really productive and interesting stuff in the early 30s, a book called History and Class Consciousness. And I drew on a chapter of that where he specifically talks about what the purpose of the Communist Party is organized and why it's so good for infecting change based on what he'd seen with the Bolsheviks in Russia. So, and I wanted to combine that with like a theory, which I guess we'll, we'll get into more of it, uh, totality. Uh, and the, the role of like totality and thinking through that sort of concept and relational organizing, how do we think through these things? How does this also help us figure out um, something, this, um, this is all kind of jumbly, so I apologize, but another big thing that had been bothering me um, was this sort of divide between what we might call a vertical form of organization. So something that's like a party that has like a lot of like, you know, you know, uh, clearly defined kind of levels up and down. And there's like a chain of command, clear sort of leader, central bodies and so on uh, versus like horizontal organizing where things are, you know, there's still some sort of organization and discussion and things move with it, but it's a lot more decentered in terms of who's concentrating like decision-making power and so on. So you can think of things like Occupy. Um, you could argue that like the George Floyd protests or a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests, you could argue we're sort of like a horizontal organizing with Occupy sort of remains, I think for a lot of people, like the prototypical uh, horizontal experiment. Uh, there's a lot, there were some communists who were like, no, the party is the only thing, the party is going to cure all of the ills of horizontalist organizing because horizontalism isn't disciplined, therefore it can't get anything done, it just falls apart after like three months, right, that's kind of the biggest complaint people have of a lot of protests is things don't get channeled in, right, the change that we stepped out of did stuff or didn't happen. Uh, whereas the horizontalists will be like, oh yeah, well then you see stuff like uh, a communist party, if the leadership doesn't listen to it, to, you know, or isn't like, you know, changing to reflect the whims of, it, of, it, of the people who are in it, right, uh, then you end up with shit like what we see with the Communist Party of Canada and with social spike back at the IMT, right? Uh, abuses of power, a party that's much more interested in kind of entrenching its own stuff, enacting sorts of kind of like, you know, political violence of its own in order to stay, you know, whole. So I felt that people's, we, we were living in a very horizontalist um, world and I didn't, I think that I, for me, that was a big obstacle for me. That's one of the major obstacles to like effective organizing. So I wanted to see how can we think about the role of party where verticality in organizing uh, in, in terms of like not pitting these two things against each other, like a moral thing, but how do they work together to sort of help us change conditions as they are? Um, so yeah, it was really I think eye-opening for me as I read a lot of this. I was learning a lot as I was going through and clarifying things. And it felt great to sort of like bring these together with other people. I read everybody else's submissions. Everybody was working on very different, similar yet different things. So it was really great to see how other people were kind of thinking through these questions, um, you know, all of us and, and, and being able to share that with people too and see hopefully, hopefully it is productive, right? For what a lot of other people are thinking about in terms of this stuff. Nice one. 
yeah, thanks for the description of kind of the process of writing it and kind of what, what you're doing mm -hmm. and what the whole, the, 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 all the writers at Negation are doing. I've been able to read yours more closely, but have read the whole thing and it's extremely interesting. And it, I do feel that uh, I'm much more, uh, uh, more well read in the party form. It was cool to re receive that from you all. So definitely grateful that it's out in the world. And um, so I guess I wanted to yeah. get, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, and yeah, I appreciate these distinctions. One of the things that was particularly generative um, was this vertical and horizontal thing, uh, uh, Nunez's uh, ideas mm -hmm. you're draw, drawing of. I mean, cause yeah, yeah. I, I definitely feel like I'm living in the left in Pittsburgh. There's more of a horizontalist milieu and there's a fear of um, verticality, but also a desire for discipline and cohesion. And so it was interesting to kind of put some words to those, yeah. um, to kind of those debates or, or, or more so not necessary debates, but just kind of tendencies that, um, that I'm seeing. Um, but I wanted to ask you before we really dive into that. Sure. So, so this first part of your piece, which your piece is called um, Totality in the Vanguard Function is one of the essays in the dossier. Yes. Yeah. And so um I guess the first thing, this first part, and you talked about Lukash and some, there's some other writers you were drawing on heavily in this, in this first part. So what do you mean um, uh, by totality in, in, in your text? Like what is, what is that and how did you, who are you studying to, to learn about that and how, how is that kind of relevant to kind of communist politics right, right now? For sure. I mean, I think in the sense that originally totality is like most, widely familiar, familiarly comes from the philosopher, like idealist philosopher Hegel, so the German philosopher, kind of thinking about the totality as kind of like the entirety, the links of like uh, the particular, so kind of concrete movements. And for Hegel, this would be like the development of like certain forms of consciousness in different parts of history, while the totality kind of becomes this sort of like larger kind of understanding of like all of these particular moments that add up to something greater than like the sum of their parts, if that makes sense. So for me, then that kind of gets pulled into Marx because Hegel was a big influence on Marx, um, even though Marx is a very you know, str you know stringent critic and a good critic of Hegel, I think. Um, we can think about like, you know, a capitalist totality, this capitalist social totality, historical totality as kind of like, again, these kind of minutia, these small bits in kind of social reproduction very particular sites like you know the factory or whatever how do the 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 forces the relations that are going on there how are those shaped and how do they shape this wider total mm. dynamic right so there's that idea of totality you can think of you know if we're thinking about a totality of history for example you know Karl Marx's you know dictum that you know class struggle is the motor of history if we're thinking about a totality of class struggle a, a history of class struggle and maybe even like a dominant history of like liberalism, that liberalism has a very particular understanding of a history where, you know, things progressively get better. They project, you know, there's like, you know, these narratives of like infinite growth, whatever, and so on. Um, we could be thinking about a totality in terms of how do we make interventions in how history is going, right? So not just, um, you know, thinking about history as this kind of, you know, guaranteed one track way, but how do we make deviations in history to bring us towards like, you know, certain kinds of outcomes that we want, the establishment of a communist society. So for me, I think what totality does in that sense and in this essay is provide like, this is what the goal of organizing should be. Um, it should develop a sort of a class consciousness. So 
and class consciousness, as I defined in this essay, is not just the awareness of your position as like a proletarian, right? You know, I am a proletarian, or I'm a working class person, I am in this particular structural position in relation to like the capitalist mode of production. I, you know, the person who owns this firm is the bourgeoisie or whatever, but it's also given my position in capitalism, how do I work together based on that recognition to make material change in how the process of history is, is unfolding, right? So it's a, it's a combination of being able to also like recognize, you know, the, the collective power of the proletariat and then also using that collective power to affect change. So that's kind of why I wanted to say, okay, how can we evaluate certain kinds of organizing in relation to this achieving a class consciousness in relation to thinking, conceptualize the totality? How are we, how can we figure out ways to like think through this very abstract, but I think also necessary thing to think through these kind of larger, you know, larger than life, really hard to grasp forces, but how do we find ways to still do it? Uh, does that make sense in terms of sort of the, the, the theorization of that? Yeah, definitely tra uh, tracking. It's like this, I, the way I'm, I'm uh, hearing it is uh -huh. it, there's totality is an idea originally coming out of Hegel, but of course you're uh, very influenced by Marx's critique of Hegel as well when you're, when, when you're looking at this. And we're looking at kind of the, 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 the history, like the uh, totality of, um, yeah, there's many forces and things that are pressing in on, on maybe really uh, small, smaller sites like a, like a factory and how they're sh kind of shaping how people in that factory are, are reproducing uh, um, um, are, are reproducing themselves. But then there's this other aspect of it is it, recognizing this specifically to analyze like what kind of interventions are possible. Not so we're just kind of going with the current of totality, but maybe looking for uh, deviations and forks or something like that. Um, is that a, a, about right? This, this is what uh, you're interested yeah. in totality? Okay. Yeah. And I wanted to ask- Yeah, I'd say so, right? You basically like as, a, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no please, please go. <laughs> I was gonna say like, yeah, like your, your totality, conceptualizing totality, kind of acts like I, I bring up this term from Frederick Jameson as a literary critic who borrows it from another guy, uh, Kevin Lynch, I think, uh, this idea of like a cognitive map, right? So this ability for us to place ourselves in this social totality, think about ourselves in relation to these social forces, right? And actually be able to conceptualize that. Like that serves as kind of your map, at least to figure out what actions to take next. So yeah, I think, I think you did a good job summarizing. Yeah. Cool. And then I, I think this is now more more clear. But I just first of all, I love this line uh, that you have. I think it's uh -huh. it's, it's really good writing. Um, but uh, and I know there's some like the uh, DNG stuff, like the Deleuze stuff uh, uh, in your article too. I also love as writers, but sometimes I read and I'm struck by it, and I'm like, that was really well put. But I'm not quite sure like what they're driving at here. And uh, this what your sentence is a bit more clear now. Uh -huh. But I want to ask you to kind of respond and tell us, and I am pulling it out of context, so I suggest that people go read it, but there's this great line that you say, um, uh, uh, to, I, the question I want to pose is, what does it mean to, quote, read the historical totality at different moments and to hold open polit political ruptures in the everyday? And so I love the, the writing of that, but what does that uh, mean? And you've, and, and you've, or how can you describe more of uh, what, you, what you're talking about there and maybe bring it into some of the uh, concrete examples we've been talking about if, if, there, if things come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I think in that kind of sentence, uh, 
if the action is to kind of, again, the emphasis on kind of like Ream historical totality at different moments, right? So not just, you know, being like, all right, we've um, been able to like abstract one kind of thing in relation to like, some people would call a totality kind of bad, or you could consider a bad totality one that doesn't think about historical movement or like changes in sort of the system, even though there's like tendencies that remain sort of the same, there's always going to be small historical changes. Somebody thinking totality poorly might do something like you know, roughly apply what Marx said in Capital Volume 1, unchanged every single particular situation. They'll be like, this is what the laws of capital are. They don't change. Um, so we can therefore read this thing exactly this way. Like this particular thing maps on entirely to what Marx said in Capital Volume 1, right, for some reason. That's a bad thinking of totality because you're not thinking about how this particular um, conjuncture with its own sort of history, a nation with its own sort of history, for example, right, um, affects or shifts kind of those general larger tendencies in this totality. So reading these things, you know, each historical moment is also taking into account how have things sort of changed, are changing over time, what are the particulars of this conjuncture that affect and shift and move with these laws? And like what you could call it a dialectical fashion, I guess, if you want to use the fancy philosophical terms for it, these things are, you know, moving, in contradiction, constantly shaping each other. Um, and being able to open up ruptures in the everyday, I guess, in terms of that is to say, okay, so if we can recognize these sites of rupture through the totality and making sure we have a moving totality that moves with us as, you know, as we try and struggle and as things change, we try to hold open those opportunities to recognize them and then to hold them open for intervention so that we can make, you know, long-term or decisive, some sort of gain in some way. It doesn't necessarily have to be rupture. There's a lot of emphasis on rupture in some kinds of like very fancy uh, or, you know, trendy-ish in some way, especially in the academy, uh, as, as I dunk on, you know, some academia. There could be a bit of a, a fetishization of rupture. Um, rupture still has to make room for something. You rupture something so you can build something from it. So making sure you can hold a rupture in the everyday is also just being like in tune with what's going on now and just being able to, um, yeah, open up those opportunities for action to happen, I think is kind of the big thing. Complete that sort of cycle, build something else. And once you've built something, continue to evaluate, see how things change so you can continue to build further. Because it's not going to be like a, a particularly linear, you're at stage one, you've established this thing, you've made this, um, apologies, it's all very abstract, I'm speaking very general terms, but imagine you like, I don't know, unionize your workplace or something. You, you've been able to sort of read what's been going on in your workplace. You see that there's a, you know, a bunch of other wins of like, you know, your Starbucks is unionizing or, some, or something. There's, you know, you want to unionize your Starbucks, a bunch of Starbucks around North America are unionizing. You can sort of read what's going on with your fellow workers. Be like, okay, we have an opportunity to seize on this, right? This kind of larger sort of thing that's going on. Uh, once you've seized that Starbucks and become like a union, that is not the end of like your sort of goal or your sort of attempt to do rupture and think through sort of class consciousness. Like you just, you, you've gotten one step, you've gotten a union. Things could backslide. You could like lose that union in a year or two if it's not really doing much for people or if it's not really engaging in like further activities. Um, you have to still be able to think reflexively and as continue to identify new options for moving further to that, all, you know, what we might consider an ultimate end of kind of broader political changes. Um, yeah, so bit of a ramble there again on what I just yeah. said, but yeah, I hope that, uh, yeah, clarifies that to you. It is, it's, it's helpful. Uh, a, a metaphor kind of, not quite a metaphor, actually, like, uh, something that actually just happened to me that I'm like thinking anagogically to uh -huh. what you're saying. And what I'm curious, I mean, it's very crass and, and, uh, but 
it um <laughs> so i have a friend and they um their appendix burst and they didn't it, they were feeling oh they dear yeah, they weren't feeling good, but they like didn't do anything about it. So it got like really a lot worse. And uh, so they went in and they got right. it all like cleared out, but it was somewhat scary. It was uh, for them and for, 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 for us too, we were like worried for them. Uh, but it's interesting, they have completely, and the doctor was not really co-signing this, but they are can kind of convinced mentally that it was their lifestyle that caused this to happen. And so like they're doing like all these drastic lifestyle changes that just seem like quite interesting. Like they're exercising, for example, wildly experimenting with different diets, uh, et cetera. And it's pretty uh, interesting to kind of behold and witness. And I was thinking of that right. kind of moment of rupture being, you know, this appendix bursting and this going into a kind of crisis. And it's just been interesting to see like things that would seem like very like habitual, like ossified patterns in their life, like for like 20 years, uh, different lifestyle things are kind of being liquefied and changing right. very, very rapidly. And I don't know, do you think that's a decent anal analogy to like this moment of rupture that, that, you're, that you're talking about? Um, what do you think? I put more on a social level. Uh, I think it could be, I think the issue, maybe with that rupture there, I guess the thing becomes like, yeah, I guess if in a way, in a way, I guess if your friend hadn't gone in as things, 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 bad things are, they probably could have died. Right. Like that's right. my understanding of like how bad a rupture of appendicitis would be. Right. Yeah. Um, so I guess in that sense, yeah, there was something that was like so bad or a crisis. Um, yeah. Seizing. I mean, crises crises are like you know great sites for trying to seize power and change and could be one of those sites too um but again yeah it's that same thing where um i mean your friend was again yeah maybe had that sick change of consciousness was like able to you know say i'm gonna make all these lifestyle changes we do all this different stuff i mean and i mean not necessarily like appendicitis appendixes append appendices appendices burst for like no particular reason it's not really a health thing is it it's not like, it's so just it's, like a, or like a, no, you just, you yeah, just but they, they, so it's, it's like kind of like what Mao talks about. Like, it's like, should I be tailing them and just be like, yeah, it's great. Like, uh, it's, you know, it seems like they're wrong. Like they're empirically wrong. It wasn't their fault, but it seems beneficial what they're doing. So it's just like, okay, uh, just go ahead with that. Like whatever. It was like a shift in consciousness and you seem to be liking it. Work it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of works to some degree. You don't want to be like a tailist and be like, we just have to do whatever the work, you know, I mm -hmm. think there's like a danger with tailism because, you know, uh, just because the proletariat are like the motor force of history in some ways, or like they're in a structural position to make the sort of changes that they are, that doesn't always mean that they're right. And that doesn't mean that like working class people can't be right. But it's also like, I think it's a fundamental insight that like part of um, living under capitalist society or any sort of like sort of side you can make sort of arguments of more on like the psychoanalytic angle that we're all we all are kind of fundamentally living under certain forms of like misrecognition of the way things are ideologically right and not like on like a we are like covered with like we have like rose-colored glasses or whatever it's like on a kind of like un unconscious level and how we perceive reality if you want to you know get all hoity-toity with it um so you know, it maybe would be a, a thing of like, if you wanted to make that analogous, you would still have to be like, okay, now that we've seen this change or this kind of rupture, how would we want to uh, 
uh, capture that sort of energy that your friends, you know, the new kind of actions that they want to do? And how can we further think about, you know, channeling those to certain kinds of ends that we want that are more along aligned with like the, this understands the root cause of what's going on, right? Versus sort of kind of like a reaction you know, based on something else, if that makes sense. It does. And I, this is another question that's kind of springing to mind that I want to ask you. It's kind of totally. coming coming up in this very empirical kind of crass example, but I'm wondering if it is related to the social political point. I mean, a lot of stuff that's been coming up for me is, and I think this could go to some of the academic stuff for some of like what am I, my emotionally, uh, maybe some of the Taoism stuff is like this, what do you think is the importance when it comes to social change or uh, uh, changing the mode of production what do you what do you think for you or and maybe theoretically as well is the role of like normativity as opposed to like figuring out how to change things um so like the difference between how does this actually work like you know using the appendix example versus i have a feeling that it's better to be healthy so like let's just go with this idea that we need uh, you know, this kind of, how, what am I trying to say here? Um, I don't know, maybe I'll zoom, zoom out and, 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 and just like, see what you think of this uh, idea of normativity when it comes to analysis, like what, what, what role do you think that plays? Uh, mm -hmm. I can clarify, clarify if nothing's coming to mind, but uh, do you have any general reactions to that? Yeah, can you clarify what you mean kind of by normativity analysis? Yeah, like normativity being like, um, okay, we should change capitalism because it's exploiting folks and um, exploitation is bad. And you know, to mm -hmm. me, that's like nor normative, like it kind of feels wrong. So I, right, I would right. as ascribe that to like some of the reading I've done in like the Christian socialism tradition, um, um, like exploitation yes. is bad. Versus like kind of for me, like the, when I'm reading like Marx or something, it's almost more, like more like scientific. So it's more, it's more like, this is how capitalism works and this is how we could maybe intervene. And there's maybe less, maybe there's a sense that we want to do this but for some normative reason, but it's kind of, uh, to me, a bit more stripped out and, and objective or, or genuflecting towards that. Um, and I'm just curious, like, it, would you draw a distinction like this? Do you think that's useful? Um, or just kind of random tangent? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. And it's like one that I think a lot of Marxists fight over uh, sometimes. I do think that if you don't do, uh, if you don't do communism with an ethics or like what you would call like a normativity, like a sort of norms, if you have no ethical or normative reason to do communism, I don't really see what edge it has. I like think it, it's weirdly also perverse it's perverse in a way if you wanted to go like the really hardcore scientific end and be like, well, this doesn't just doesn't make any logical sense. It's like, yeah, okay, sure. But like, I, what is the, what's the relevance of like not making logical sense, right? Um, I do think what the balance becomes is you do need to have some sort of scientific understanding of how this stuff works, not to like, so you're not construing some of the workings of it. It's like the thing where like, if Marx has talked about exploitation, he's not using that in a moral sense, right? Um, but because you don't want to, I think in some ways, you don't want to risk run the risk of like, you know, a certain social democratic interpretation of Marx would be like, well, we can solve capitalism, we can resolve the injustice by paying workers 
what they, um, you know, the surplus value that's been extracted from them. Uh, but the Marxists would say that there's no, that doesn't really work. There's no way that you can really retain, like the way that the capitalist mode of production works, if we wanted to try and keep the same kind of productive forces that we do now and organize in that way, it just wouldn't work. There is no way to like get back that money it is simply the way that that works is inherent to capitalism. So what, you know, you want like a normative core to like, because you want to be doing this to help people. Let's be real. It's the whole reason that you're doing any of this politics, but you also don't want it to become, let that moralism kind of become sort of like the overriding part of your conclusions. I think it leads you to, it can lead you to some premature ends of like where we kind of need to go. Um, I think that's maybe where that sort of distinction comes in for me at least. Um, but yeah, but if you, if you're a Marxist and you're like, oh, I'm actually right in this and communism is right because it's 100% um, the you know, scientifically correct way of thinking about things. I think you're being a bit of a fucking putz. Uh, I, I think you're not being honest about why you want to do communism unless you're like some sort of sociopath or whatever, you know, so. Got it. Yeah, thank you. I uh, appreciate that. That's uh, uh, interesting and, and clarifying for me. Um, so I did want to ask, so we've talked about the mm -hmm. first part of your uh, 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 essay about the totality. And then I, I was wondering if we could mm -hmm. dive into the Vanguard function. So why the vanguard function? What is the vanguard function? How would you describe this um, this section of your or this this half of your your article or your essay? For sure, yeah. Um, so the vanguard function is a really I thought was like an incredibly useful term and one of the biggest things I pulled out of uh, when I was doing my initial newsletters before I wrote this essay um, from Rodrigo Nunes's book uh, Neither Vertical Nor Horizontal, which I highly recommend. It's a it was hugely influential. Like a lot of the second part of this essay really is kind of like exegesis of that book. A lot of key like exegesis of terms from that. I really think it's like, if you're curious about debates and organizing or you want to think about rules of organization, I think it's a really great framework. And I highly recommend everybody reads that book. Um, but the Vanguard function for Nunez. So if we imagine our traditional, you know, party man, a party comrade, sort of communist who is like, um, the reason why the, the communist party works as an organization is because it's a, it's the vanguard of the working class. It's kind of the leader. It's the thing that holds the way so that the, you know, the working class can follow it. And it's the only organization that can do this to like achieve the ends that we want. Um, Nunes has issues with that. I have issues with that because it kind of presumes this sort of like issue, you know, where the party becomes this sort of like sole representation of every single member of the working class. It homogenizes the interests of the working class. Um, when we have to admit that like the working class as a body of people is internally differentiated in many ways. It's internally differentiated due to race, due to gender, sexuality, you know, all of these sort of kind of things. So there's inherently going to be difference and conflict or, you know, you know, that needs, I think is it needs to be taken into account in order to prevent you know, other kinds of injustices from happening. Um, so for Nunes, the Vanguard function is kind of you know, thinking about, okay, um, how can we think about how multiple organizations can hold the role of doing what we were talking older, doing about what we were talking about earlier, the holding open of these kind of moments of rupture for totality, right? So it's more of an idea of saying, okay, how can we think about how different organizational forms on like gradients of degrees of vertical and degrees of horizontal perform certain roles that advance class consciousness and things, right? Certain organizations will be better at doing some things than others. Uh, at different points in history, they're gonna become more relevant than others. 
um, so they can all hold and you know pass this Vanguard function along in certain ways. And that's helpful for multiple reasons. Um, prevents certain kinds of like abuses on behalf of like certain kinds of parties, right? Uh, it ensures that um, you know, especially in, in a position where I'd argue, say we are the left is pretty, or the left, communist left, whatever you want to say, it's quite weak, especially in North America. So you kind of have to experiment and have the, free, you know, the willingness to engage with different kinds of forms of organizing to like get shit done, right? There is no, uh, there is no strong like vanguard party that is going to like storm up to the White House or the Parliament and fucking take it over, burn it down, put up a hammer and sickle flag and say, we've fucking done it, right? This is, you know, that's not happening. So making sure that we're kind of having our expectations spread out, we're working together, we're looking at how forces and things are changing across like a wider kind of, you know, map maybe, um, and how organizations relate to each other. I think that's way more helpful. So that's kind of what the Vanguard function is supposed to do. The Vanguard function in a way is like the thing that allows you to map totality. It's like the function of the organization to be able to take, perform the action of mapping totality, building class consciousness, doing action, yeah. Got it, but something, so this Vanguard function, I think just working through Nunez's book based on your recommendation in the piece, and it's really fascinating. I mean, I, I think it's somewhat understated even, like it's, as you're talking, uh, the, the idea of the Vanguard function as Nunez is unpacking, it seems, it's pretty interesting and, and radical idea because it's kind of, reframing like vertical forms of the party is not necessarily being the vanguard function but being as part of this kind of ecological web um this uh, of the, the vanguard which could yeah you know encompass both like a 1930s style u.s like uh labor movement and an occupy mutual aid pop-up that happens um and somehow like coordinating that in a way that, um, you know, achieves revolutionary aims. So, I mean, I, I don't know, first of all, do you think that's a fair analysis of what Nunez is talking about or, or what you're, you're talking about, what I, what I just said? And could, could you maybe help me tighten it up a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. Like you mentioned that sort of like ecological web. I think that's kind of what he's talking about. Like imagine there's kind of like a mapping ecosystem. Imagine there's like, a, you know, a network. He's kind of drawing from like sort of cybernetic theory and stuff, that kind of thinking like a network where there's like nodes, where there's kind of information, forces, things flowing um, in between. And some of these nodes, if they're like vertical, for example, are like really solid, uh, they can kind of scale up power um, to you know, not just kind of a local situation, but kind of up and beyond, right? Um, to like, from a local to like a national level, for example. Um, but also they can also be, if it's a purely vertical node, it may not have a lot of connections with a lot of other kind of distributed sort of nodes or, you know, other kinds of organizations that can do stuff on the ground and can work with, right? So yeah, I think it makes sense what you say, like that it's, it's more not saying, it's, it's shifting the question from what's the right organizational form that we need and what's like the right, the correct, only correct organizational form to how do we think about, you know, coordinate, yeah, what you said, like coordinating these disparate or, you know, different organizations, organizations together, pardon my enunciation, organizations together to enact that change. So yeah, I think, I think you're pretty much bang on. Um, well, I'm glad you bring up this idea of like cyber cybernetics, because that brings up these interesting questions about like, 
feedback and information. Um, you said like information sharing. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to embark on this kind of project because like how to analyze feedback, like what is, what is the, the feedback? Like what, what, e what is successful? Like are, is it these kind of electoral victories in, in municipal elections? Is that positive feedback? Is that working? Um, it, and I'm not making a judgment on whether it is or not. I'm just saying like, For sure. the, 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 these are the questions like I, I, I wanna be asking versus like, you know, stocking our uh, mutual aid pantry and seeing that like a bunch of it is gone, you know? And that's like, okay, it's not great, but it's good. It's like, this is good right. feedback or this is needed here. And so I think, you know, and, and not necessarily, cause I just described like two tendencies in my local DSA that might be, uh, if not in like contradiction or in conflict with just people that, you know, you talk about the big tent aspect of DSA, like people put their energy in one of those projects and they tend to have different politics. Um, if they're going to be electoral, like electing Democrats, or if they're going to be like more anarchists or, or, or whatever doing mutual aid. And I'm like interested in, you know, coordinating that feed feedback. Um, this is a very empirical mm -hmm. example. And, and are those things even in relation? Um, in this vanguard function. So that's why I found, found this concept very generative for, for what's going on. Like how should we relate to each other as activists? Um, are, are we driving towards the same thing? Mm -hmm. I, would I would like like to be obviously, um, but I think that's still an open question personally. Um, but th this idea of a vanguard function that is um, kind of co coordinating. I mean, what do you think? And like I said, I haven't got through all of Nunez's work but like what does that kind of for sure coordination like look like do you think it's still a bit speculative and we're kind of working through that experimentally are there some good concrete examples uh that i can grip onto um what do you what do you think about that maybe there are like there's ecological examples uh that are that are great like outside of the social system i'm sure um, all right maybe that's an interesting question yeah. outside of the social system that my like kind of modernity is showing there um but anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think about the most concrete thing I can think of. Um, and I think this was like, how much of this is ongoing? So where I live in Ontario, I'm in and around the Toronto-ish area. I'm in a city called Hamilton right now in Ontario. Um, two years ago, so during COVID, um, Haudenosaunee land defenders, so Haudenosaunee, Six Nations, uh, Indigenous nation within settler Canada. Um, Goose Haudenosaunee land defenders in and around a city or a village town called Caledonia um, occupied and blockaded a section of land that was going to be, uh, you know, done like real estate development. It was gonna be like real estate development in the city. Um, and the Haudenosaunee land defenders came in, they did the exercise, like their sovereignty. This wasn't, this was unseated land. It wasn't, you know, side away from trees or whatever, like that land, um, recognition was never done. So they defended their land as they rightfully should have. Um, the Ontario Provincial Police came in, like tear gas and rubber bulleted them, um, just did like really horrific shit, right, to them, like, mil like borderline military force, um, arguably military force. And if you want to talk about the exercise of military force on Canadian, like, in sorry, Indigenous peoples in Canada, you can think of the Wet'suwet'en in BC, and they literally had, like, they've beaten up and arrested them, 
they had snipers ready to like shoot and kill. There's like documents that say they had snipers to shoot and kill some of these land defenders. In that case, anyways, I'm sure in Caledonia they had a lot of other stuff going on. And in 1492, land back lane, so they called it. These land defenders had that area, and they called it that. Um, but through 1492, land back lane, they kept this blockade for over a year. And they kind of through that a lot of the mutual aid organizations in and around other groups, including the Communist Party, and us part of it in Hamilton's were relatively close to Caledonia, uh, kind of coordinated with them, coordinated with each other to drop off supplies in order to make sure that people had what they need to keep going in the blockade, make sure that they were safe. So you can almost, you know, successfully things worked out in July of last year, I believe. Uh, the development firm that was going to be like, you know, doing the real estate shit on that land backed out and gave refunds to all the people who booked land. So they successfully, and like the, the blockade's still ongoing in parts of it, but they successfully were able to like stop the land injunction. They said, fuck it, get out of here. Um, and they succeeded. And that wouldn't have happened, I think. I mean, they probably could have, but it definitely helped that they were getting a lot of material support from a lot of other groups in and around. So for me, that's kind of almost you know, we could think of that as kind of an example of the Vanguard function where like 1492 land back lane isn't some fucking Vanguard party or like the, the, the people who were running that weren't some kind of Vanguard party. It was just a, gr a group of, of people in their community that needed that kind of help. They had people who became the de facto leaders, but they also had distributed leadership where you saw other groups coming in and assisting and giving support in that way, in a solidarity kind of way. So for me, that's kind of maybe a way you can kind of think about vanguard functions. If it's like, you know, I would say in terms of the question of like combating settler colonialism in Canada, that's pretty fucking successful, right? It isn't demolished state of Canada successful, but it's something where something got done and things continue to build off of that, right? Um, so to me, that's like a very prominent example of that in terms of like a concrete way of thinking through how that sort of works, right? Um, yeah, just in a different example. And it may be one that's, you know, instructing useful for instruction too, because it isn't strictly a quote unquote working class movement, but it has elements that are relevant to anti-capitalists and to communists, right? Um, if you want to be a communist and you want to combat capitalism, I think you have to fight, you have to combat settler colonialism. That's an intrinsic part of like capitalist processes, right? So thinking through that sort of demonstration of organization, and they can also help, uh, you know, think about class struggle in the same way. How does class struggle work into that, you know? So. Yeah, that's kind of like for me uh, a concrete example that kind of came to me. Yeah, cool. That's a really great example, and I've only uh, barely familiar with it. I want to do a lot more reading on the land, uh, land, land defender uh, that 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 movement that kind of came up because that does seem like a major victory, and it's really exciting. Uh, but it took a lot of like hard work. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. So I don't know if Nunez has talked about it. Um, or will, but or this is my own distinction I'm bringing in, because um, now I'm thinking about, I was just playing chess earlier, so I'm thinking <laughs> of like this distinction of offensive and defensive. Um, so like this land defending, it's literally called that, right? Like, so it's defending like these kind of shitty developers were coming in, refusing to do land recognition, and yeah. there's a very successful defense of that important, uh, uh, the, the, the very important stand. Um, and so, and we can relate this kind of more theoretically to maybe like settler colonialism. And then to me, something that like, um, that would be like maybe offensive would be like some kind of movement to defund, you know, Canadian police or like take away funding mm -hmm. for like rubber bullets and shit like that, which I would say that would be cool. It would be more offensive. And so like, I was thinking like with the Vanguard function, like what is the, agent, sure. what is the agency that, 
because in this experience, like you and all your comrades and then like the people who were coordinating the mutual aid developed like a lot of skills and political radicalization. And there's a lot that happened there. But what it is if it's not the party necessarily, like what is the agency that's taking those lessons forward and maybe defunding Canadian police, uh, if, that, if that's a goal? Um, or whatever the goal might be to unravel settler colonialism. Mm-hmm. But like, what's your sense of that in Nunez and maybe in your own, own thinking? That's a good question, right? Like, yeah, in terms of like what comes after we've done a successful sort of like reactive defensive move. I mean, the way that I would see it is you would hope that, you know, I think one of the big groups that was trying to help Fortune to land back way in Hamilton was like the Hamilton, like defund Hamilton police, like uh, a group here. So you would, I would, in my, the logical step in my mind, I can't confirm if this is true or not, would be that now that you've done sort of that work that Fortune 92 land back lane, you can take some of the energy of what's going on and be like, okay, now that we know what's going on here, we can go forward and say, okay, now that we've, you know, done this defense, wasn't that fucked up? Let's move action and, and promote like defunding the police, moving this thing. And then having those same kind of organizations that were working together sort of also then be able to channel that force they kind of had shift some of the leadership now maybe to that defund the police group in some way or sort of like put more of an emphasis they're going to take up some more of this kind of concrete stuff and everybody else can help out in that area or like you know bring this sort of contribution there um so that's maybe like concretely how i would have ideally liked that to work out did that work out um hard to say i can't necessarily comment um if it, you know i don't think that 100 happened i don't really think realistically it did uh, like a lot of, as you were mentioning, I think, uh, before you were talking, a lot of defunding abolition movements have kind of like been co-opted or had, you know, a lot of difficulties, things have like sort of fizzled out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, maybe in the case of like what was going on with like the Vanguard function in, in this particular case, there doesn't necessarily need to be like a Vanguard party, but something that is like a more vertical organizing form that is tied to sort of, you know, this sort of defunding stuff, maybe that, that can continue on and, and persist for longer with certain kinds of resources would help to, you know, strengthen that ability to conduct offensive sort of, of, of movements, right? Um, maybe again, we're thinking very speculative here because I have no idea what that could look like. Uh, that's the problem with some of this stuff is like, yeah, it ends up being quite speculative, but yeah, um, knowing what that looks like. But I mean, having the opportunity to think about, um, I think in this case, what the role of that um, verticality is, what that verticality does and not being afraid of it, working through sort of like, and Nunes talks about this too, these sort of like traumas, historical traumas that we have around verticalism and organizing. Um, it's kind of help figure out where that, where that remains and how we can rethink reintroducing sort of verticality um, in these sort of like, you know, groups of, you know, a little more horizontally organized, you know, organizations that are doing stuff together and passing this vanguard function between each other. This is a random reference since we're doing the, specul- the speculative stuff, like with what, uh-huh. first, first of all, I think it's really interesting. Like we're in a weak position in the left, like we were talking about, like we can afford some experimentation and, uh, you know, it's, it's necessary, but, um, so there's this Gnostic sect, this Gnostic Christian sect, and their, it, my analysis is their response to like dealing with overly oppressive like church hierarchies um, that n- n- uh, nonetheless like helped some kind of level of social cohesion during their time is they had these very strict 
like rituals and hierarchies, but they, every time they go into church, they draw lots. So you could be in any position of authority. It just completely would shift Sunday to uh, Sunday. And so they had right. these very rigorous structure, structures, but they had, it was basically based on chance, like who would take up that role, like who would be like the Pope figure. And uh, yeah, I think if, I'm just trying personally to, yeah, yeah like uh, we can experiment with some level of, of, of hierarchy and, and discipline and, and, and organizational structure and it, it can dissolve, you know, and it doesn't need to be like a all pervasive overarching mm-hmm. and different campaigns or whatever require, like if you're gathering for an art project, like you probably don't want a, a lot of discipline and hierarchy, but if you're doing a mapping project where there's clear expertise or something, yeah, maybe we need, we need that kind of thing. And that, 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 that's fine. And anyway, so um, yeah, I find this idea of Nunez uh, uh, very, very interesting. And yeah, I appreciate the work you've done, to kind of the exegesis you've done on it. It's been uh, really helpful for me. Uh, so thank you, uh, Andrew. I'm curious, I did have, a, you've, been, you've been extremely generous with your time tonight. Uh, and this has been like a really great conversation. I appreciate it. I was wondering if I could ask you uh, just one more, uh, not quite a series of questions, maybe like one or two more, more questions. Is that all right? Do you have a couple more things? A little more time? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm curious, what's next for no, you? That's totally fine. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm curious, like, what's next for you? Like, what are you working on now? What are you reading? Um, what are you writing? Uh, what's, what's next for you or Negation Magazine? Yeah, um, what am I really doing? It's been, we've kind of slowed down now after the dossier getting that all figured out. Um, I have a couple things bouncing around in my head. It feels really good to get this out. Um, I've been reading a lot of stuff just here and there, things that I wanted to know about, more about. Um, I've been reading a lot of Hegel because I wanted to get a better, you know, just the theoretical brain. I wanted to get more, you know, involved with Hegel. I have a few reading groups and some kind of, you know, stuff related to kind of the intersections of like Marxism and psychoanalysis, like that kind of theory, thinking of how that's helpful for, you know, other kinds of things, thinking through politics, thinking through things like that. Um, I've been, I've been reading a lot about like, I've been on like a Scientology binge, like a weird thing. I've just been thinking a lot about like, this is unrelated. This is just something I've been doing. I've just been really getting you know, reading up a lot on it, consuming a lot of media, trying to figure out, I'm just really fascinated by Scientology as like a form of organization, a form of kind of like a sort of ethics, the way that it works and the way that it like, I don't know, the pervasive and pretty fucked up nasty ways that it works. It's a side thing in case like people are curious, it's fucked up, there's crazy stuff going on there. Um, and I, I don't know, I just actually recently read it. We're talking about this, uh, Negation also does for a Patreon, a monthly podcast that I help edit. And so while Ron Hubbard actually wrote a book, it's like one of the core texts of Scientology that you get to read. It's about applying Scientology to the workplace. And like, how do you talk about like Scientology and labor? So we're talking, we read it, we're talking about it. Uh, yeah, it's fucking, it's weird, man. It's weird. He justifies uh, child labor in it. He has like a whole thing about like child labor is necessary. It's awesome. It's fucking just batshit insane. So we're going to be talking about that on the podcast. So in like, it'll be coming out this way so people are interested. Uh, it's going to be fun romp it's he's a very particular understanding of like how labor works and what it means for people and he sort of recognizes that like labor is like makes people feel like shit and that workers are important but like has identifies a lot of what i would consider the wrong problems my favorite thing is like one of the things is like if you're getting heated and you're having problems at work or stuff after work you should go take a walk it literally says like take a walk and like bold 
caps, <laughs> take a walk around the block and then come back so you don't do domestic abuse to your wife. It's like, dude, what the fuck? Um, anyways, it's crazy. Uh, in terms of things that I want to read, um, this is for stuff that if I end up doing a PhD, my master's was in English. If I want to do a PhD in English again, I would want to do um, stuff on like eco-Marxist thinking and eco-criticism, like talking about literature and ecology and, and, and environmentalism and like Canadian fiction. So I have a big stack of books on like eco-Marxism, eco-socialism. So trying to read, use Marxist thought to think through how we can see how capitalism affects the environment and then how do we combat it? Um, so big like list of stuff there. That's kind of when I get there, when I decide to sit down and like put myself through these like voluminous books and these PDFs, that's going to be like an extra project and something might come out of it for negation, something might not, but yeah, that's kind of where, uh, where my brain's at right now. So, yeah. Awesome, Andrew. Cool. So there's some stuff, a lot of interesting stuff you're reading now. Uh, first of all, as you work through some of the psychoanalysis psycho and Marxism, it would be interesting to follow that. I, I have an interest in that as well. Um, so interesting to see what, uh, what you come up with and if you write about it. Um, random reference with the Scientology stuff. I just read a book called The Two Antichrists by Peter Gray. Um, and he looks at the relationship between Jack Parsons okay. and um, L. Ron Hubbard. So Jack Parsons is a devotee of Aleister Crowley. And there's some really weird history about uh, Parsons and, and L. Ron Hubbard in California. Um, then I've watched some, okay. some of the documentaries about, and speaking of like offensive, like the shit they did with the IRS, uh -huh. like the coordinated suing operation was uh -huh, uh -huh. just wild. Like I couldn't believe it's fucking crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then anyways, yeah, it'll be, uh, exciting to Could you imagine just strong arming the IRS into, yeah, it's, 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 it's wild. Um, but then, yeah, and, uh, good luck with the work <laughs> you're doing on, uh, eco-socialism, eco-marxism too. We'll definitely, um, look forward to that is there anything so you've mentioned a lot of cool resources ways we can follow you so uh subscribe to the patreon and check out this interesting podcast that y'all have got going um you're on twitter which I, I follow you but where where's the best place to um if people are interested in getting into your work um what should we do Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter. So if my Twitter is linked, it's at AJ McQuinney. You can find me there. Um, I have a website too, actually. It's AJ McQuinney at Gmail. Uh, sorry, not, that's my email. So cut that out there. It's AJ McQuinney.com or .ca. Is it .com or .ca? Let's double check here as I... It's .com, ajmcquinney.com. So I have links there to like a lot of the kind of the bigger essays, some stuff that I did when I was a, a journalism, like a student journalist. So there's some stuff there, cool. other academic writing I've done. A lot of my links, like stuff there. Um, so if you want to check that out, that's there. And yeah, Twitter is also probably the best place. I'm, I'm unfortunately, as many Twitter users are, very active there, uh, looking at things all the time. And uh, it's terrible and also an amazing experience. So yeah, you can uh, yeah see what I'm doing on there. Thanks so much, Andrew. And yeah, we appreciate the time and uh, appreciate the work you're doing. Thanks. Have a good night. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was great. Awesome. See ya.